Welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Roberts. I'm an independent principal medical writer. Today, we're discussing advancements and challenges in adjuvant treatment for melanoma. The podcast has been sponsored by Novartis Pharma AG. I'm so happy to be joined by two experts in the field, Professor Mario Mandala from the University of Perugia in Italy and Dr. Teresa Amaral from the Skin Cancer Clinical Trial Center, Eberhard Karls University of Tübingen in Germany. I say I'm happy because we recently wrote an article together on the same subject and the insights gained from our two experts were really informative and it's great to be able to explore more with them subjects such as who would be offered adjuvant treatment for melanoma and some of the long-term advantages and maybe potential disadvantages of such therapy. So welcome Maria and Teresa. Uh, I'm going to kick off with a question for Teresa. Um, please, you know, let's just first describe a typical patient who would be offered post-surgery adjuvant treatment for melanoma. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here and to discuss this topic with Mario. Uh, so the typical patient that we see in our uh, clinical practice, and I will describe it mostly from my experience here in the center. So the majority of the patients that we see, they are treated in our center. They are treated and diagnosed in our center. So after they have been completely resected um, and they are staged as stage three, uh, they will be discussed in our tumor board where we discuss our patients' uh, proposals for um, systemic treatments. So the typical patient that will be discussed there are patients that have already been resected, as I said, so primary tumor and lymph nodes with sentinel lymph node biopsy or a complete lymph node dissection, depending on the stage. And there we discuss uh, the type of systemic treatments that we have available for these patients. Uh, very important information, and I'm sure that Mario will agree, will agree with that, is that we need to have the BRAF mutation status at the time of the discussion. So uh, in the great majority of the cases, we will have this information at the time of the discussion in the tumor board, and we will discuss the two uh, treatment options in case the patient has a BRAF mutation. Then, uh, depending on the stage of the patient, so stage 3 has four substages for those that are listening to us, stage 3A to stage 3D. And this is important for us to have an idea of the risk of recurrence for, from the patient. So a patient with a stage 3A has a good prognosis or a better prognosis compared to patients with stage 3D, for example. Uh, besides the substage, we also take into consideration the age of the patient, the presence of comorbidities, and um, also the patient's preferences in terms of the treatment that uh, is available. And with all this information, we formulate a recommendation that is written in the tumor board. And then we have an appointment with the patient where we discuss these potential uh, treatment options. That's uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining all that. Uh, Mario, if you can kind of pick up uh, you know, the typical patient pathway regarding the treatments themselves. And, you know, if there's, is, is there a difference in the sort of administration? Is there a difference according to the treatment center or if clinical trials are available? 
Yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, thank you uh, uh, for for this kind invitation. It's a pleasure for me too to discuss with Teresa uh, these important topics. So basically, in a routine activity, uh, at least in Europe, we have two different treatment strategies, namely targeted therapy uh, with drugs that target the mitogen-activated protein kinase pathway, and these are BRAF and MEK inhibitors, and immune checkpoint inhibitors, so antibodies uh, uh, that target uh, the programmed cell death uh, 1, PD-1, and both these strategies have been approved as adjuvant treatment. This means for patients with a radically resected melanoma for high-stage state 3 melanoma. In patients without the mutation of BRAF, uh, we can consider only immunotherapy. For patients with the mutation of BRAF, VU600, we can consider both immunotherapy and targeted therapy. And we need to say also that immune checkpoint inhibitors are approved as well in adjuvant setting for patients with IRIC stage 2 melanoma, mainly stage 2B and stage 2C. Immune checkpoint inhibitors are given intravenously every 3, 6, or 2, 4 weeks, depending on the dose and the type of immune checkpoint inhibitor, nivolumab or pebrolizumab. While targeted therapy is taken by mouth, patients take dabrafenib twice a day, morning or and evening, about 12 hours apart, and uh, trametinib only once a day. So it's an oral formulation. And this can be, for some patients, of course, an advantage because it's uh, uh, an oral formulation so they uh, can uh, uh, take the drug without accessing the hospital. Thank you so much. I'm going to stick with you, um, Mario. So, you know, someone's had the treatment and, you know, what this podcast looking at is a lot of long term. So just with regard to outcomes such as survival, what are the advantages of adjuvant treatment? So adjuvant treatment, adjuvant therapy reduces the risk of local recurrence, but most important, the risk of distant recurrence. The absolute benefit uh, in patients with stage three, it's about 15 to 20%. This means that the number needed to be treated patients to avoid spare a recurrence is in the order of five patients. The recurrence, I want to remind you, the recurrence of the disease is devastating for patients. And this outcome is accepted by regulatory authorities as an important endpoint of adjuvant therapy. And we are glad to offer such a therapy because this is a life-saving therapy for most patients treated. Thank you so much. It's always so interesting to understand 
you know, the statistics and the facts behind something that's going to affect a patient over the long term. Um, are, are there different stresses um, between the long term outcomes with targeted therapy and, and immunotherapies? Well, um, for both therapies and in the adjuvant setting, uh, there are some concepts, as uh, Mario mentioned before, that are important for our patients to understand when we talk to them about uh, adjuvant treatment. Uh, as Mario pointed out quite well, we only have data in terms of relapse-free survival and decent metastasis-free survival. What does this mean to the patients? These two concepts, which are time, so measured in months or years, um, are calculated between the time of the diagnosis or the time of treatment starts until a progression, which means a recurrence of the tumor that can be locally or distant. And what we saw with both of the treatments is that there is an advantage in terms of two, these two parameters of survival benefit. So the patients that take the treatment will have a longer term without a recurrence, either local or distance. What we don't have now, and this is what we need to discuss with the patients at the time of the, the treatment discussion, is overall survival benefit. And what is overall survival benefit? Is the time that is uh, between the diagnosis or treatment start and death from any cause, or melanoma-specific survival, which is time from treatment start or diagnosis until death due to melanoma. These data are being collected. Of course, it's difficult to have these data in an advanced, uh, adjuvant setting. So it takes time for us to have this data. As Mari pointed out, uh, uh, progression, um, relapse-free survival and decent metastasis-free survival are acceptable endpoints from the regulatory point of view. This allows us to give the treatment to the patients. But in the end, it's important that the patients understand that the overall survival benefit is still not available. It will come, I think, in the next uh, couple of years or, or maybe even earlier, uh, most likely, we hope. Uh, but it is important that we give uh, this information to our patients, which means that if there is a benefit in terms of overall survival, the patients that receive the treatment will also live longer in total compared to the patients that do not receive treatment. If there is not a benefit in terms of overall survival, means that the patients live as long if they receive the treatment or not. Still, what Mario pointed out is extremely important. A recurrence is a devastating event for a patient. And at the time of the recurrence, there are a lot of other concepts and, and discussions that we need to do with the patient. Therefore, it is important that they understand these concepts. And both for targeted and immunotherapy, we still have only data from relapse-free survival and decent metastasis-free survival. Thank you. Um, one of the things we uh, discussed and touched on in the paper is actually in clinical studies, there, there's more and more use of biomarkers. Um, mm -hmm. This may be for short-term outcome. This may be for understanding what treatment may be best for a patient. But in, in, in clinical work and with regard to long-term outcomes following adjuvant treatment, what are, what are the hopes for the use of, of these biomarkers for patients, for all patients when they get into the clinic? As, as we pointed out before, 
there is an advantage in terms of 14% uh, relative risk reduction of recurrence with uh, adjuvant therapy and an absolute benefit of uh, 15 to 20%. This means that there are patients who are treated with adjuvant therapy without any benefit from adjuvant therapy for two reasons. First, there are patients that are cured by surgery. And the second uh, group of patients who, although they receive adjuvant therapy, they ultimately recur. So we need, and uh, uh, in uh, the routine activity, uh, we need uh, biomarkers in order to identify patients who may benefit from adjuvant therapy, patients who deserve adjuvant therapy, and patients who been, can be saved in terms of disease-free survival and overall survival by uh, adjuvant therapy. And there are some uh, uh, ongoing clinical studies. So we await the results of these clinical studies, including a German study, the Nivomela study, uh, which uh, randomized patients according to the gene expression profiling of the primary melanoma and identify patients who high risk who were randomized to receive or not the treatment after the radical surgery and uh, patients with low risk according to the gene expression profiling who did not receive any treatment. So we wait for uh, such a trial and other trials using circulating DNA, so circulating biomarkers, the liquid biopsy, in order to identify patient had high risk and then reach the patient population who ultimately can benefit from adjuvant therapy and spare, of course, potential acute and long-term toxicities. Thank you. And um, Teresa, maybe you'd like to answer, is, is this going to be available soon uh, to, to patients or is this something that's still just... Uh, in the, in the clinical trial stage? Well, I can tell you, this is a very important aspect because the patients also ask us when they come to the discussion, am I going to benefit from, from the, the treatment, yes or no? And uh, as Mario pointed out, uh, what we have now in terms of risk uh, um, stratification, it's actually the staging from AGCC. Uh, which has been used to include the patients in clinical trials. Uh, there are some, uh, uh, or at least one of the trials that is ongoing, there is at least one, one another one that I um, know, I am aware of, that uses biomarkers or a risk stratification that is based on the primary tumor. And uh, this defines whether the patient is uh, high risk or low risk, as Mari pointed out. The, these are, let's say, prognostic um, uh, markers or prognostic biomarkers that will define the risk of the patient up front. But what we also need is uh, predictive biomarkers. And here, um, I think we are still in the realm of uh, clinical trials. 
So we don't use it uh, for, um, for uh, let's say, patients follow up or patients uh, or for, to do treatment decisions in the daily practice to all patients. So this is not available. But the data that we have been um, getting from clinical trials is extremely helpful. Mario mentioned ctDNA, for example. One of the problems of the ctDNA uh, in melanoma is that not a lot of patients have positive ctDNA, so it's difficult to use as a biomarker. But there are other um, ongoing uh, investigations like interferon gamma signature, presence of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, and so on that may be available in the future. And uh, with that in mind, I think it's very important to uh, remember the colleagues that uh, are involved in clinical trials, that the biomarker part of the clinical trials is extremely important. So we should try to have patients included in the, in the biomarker part of the clinical trials, because this is where we'll get this information and uh, in, in a solid or let's say with high quality that we can maybe then use in our patients in the clinical practice. Still, in our daily basis, I don't think that we are ready right now to use them, but uh, I see it as a very, uh, in the near future, as a very uh, um, real op a possibility that we can use it to, uh, to better inform our patients about their risks and their possibilities to benefit from systemic treatment. And, and for now, of course, as has been pointed out, uh, very nice uh, by uh, Teresa. Uh, for now, the only predictive biomarker that we can use in the clinic is the Biravu 600 mutation. So it's very important that a uh, patient with stage three uh, melanoma radically resected are tested uh, in order to uh, give the possibility uh, to patients to access uh, to uh, BRAF and MEK inhibitors if uh, the melanoma harbors the BRAVU 600 mutation. Exactly. Thank you so much. Now we're going to move on to um, potential disadvantages. This time <laughs> I will start with Teresa. Okay. When you're having a discussion with patients, um, what do you actually chat about? What do they want to know? Uh, regarding potential long-term disadvantages of adjuvant treatment. And for this first part of the question, really, how will it affect or impact their quality of life? Well, um, the majority of the patients that I see in my clinical practice are patients that are proposed to be included in clinical trials. So uh, the discussion that we have is much uh, about or, or very focused on the uh, long-term um, benefits, but also in terms of the long-term potential complications, as you said, in terms of toxicity. This is an important aspect for the patients. Um, I, I have the impression that uh, at least in the first discussion uh, for, for some colleagues and, and some um, uh, medical personnel, it is not as important because we are very focused on the, uh, on the benefit of the treatments, but it's very important for the patients. And they ask uh, many questions uh, on, that, on that part as well, which include um, how many times do I need to come to uh, receive the treatment? Uh, how often do I need to, do, um, to, to have scheduled visits? 
Um, is it going to be something that I have adverse events right away, which means if I come to the center, can I drive home back? Can I get back to work after the treatment? Um, so these are very practical uh, uh, questions that are important for the patients because, as we pointed out in our article, these are this is a very young population. So they are patients that are active, they are working, they have kids, uh, and they need to know what what exactly do do it's it's expected from the treatment that they are receiving in terms of burden that they will have during the treatment, right? So these are questions that, that we, we, we clarify with them. And obviously this depends on whether they will receive immunotherapy as Mari pointed out, or uh, target therapy. Um, but these are very uh, practical questions. Then as after understanding, let's say the acute uh, toxicities that could come with the treatment, because this is important for them, uh, they ask about the long-term toxicities. And these are toxicities that are different depending on the type of treatment that they receive. Um, a very important question from the patient or a very uh, uh, frequent question from the patient is, okay, I will have a toxicity, but is it possible to treat it? Or do I will get, uh, let's say, um, um, or is this toxicity irreversible? Uh, and I will need to live with this toxicity to, until the rest of my life. Um, and here it's where it comes, uh, the possibility or, or the need to explain that indeed there are some toxicities that might be reversible, depending on, again, on the treatment that, that the patient receives. And there are toxicities that are treatable and reversible, which means that even if the patient has toxicities, we will might be able to restart the treatment if needed. Uh, so these are these are kind of the the let's say the most practical questions that the patients have in the first uh, in the first appointment, and of course when they start treatment, if they decide decide to receive treatment, then there will be follow up questions in the next uh, in the next appointments. But I think this is um, mostly the questions and and most the the most practical questions that we discuss in the first um, in the first uh, uh, visit. I don't know what you think, Mario. Maybe you have another idea. Yes, I, I think that you cover perfectly uh, the uh, the discussion with with patient when the, uh, we counsel them about the adjuvant therapy. And uh, uh, of course, uh, as you pointed out, there are some uh, difference in terms of acute and long-term toxicities between uh, targeted therapy and, uh, and the immunotherapy. So uh, both targeted therapy and... Uh, um, and uh, uh, immunotherapy uh, may evoke uh, acute toxicity different in the spectrum of the uh, toxicities. Uh, with regards to long-term toxicities, these are linked mostly to immunotherapy because there is a memory effect of uh, immunotherapy. So even in patient, when we stop the treatment, we can face, our patient can face long-term toxicities, mainly atralgia or uh, endocrine uh, toxicity or skin toxicities and, and so on. So it's important to follow up patients after stopping the treatment in order to identify patients with the long-term toxicities and uh, possibly treat uh, these patients in order to improve the quality of life uh, and uh, face with uh, long-term toxicities as well, of course. Great. And am I right in si saying, like through no fault, but by the nature of clinical trials, that um, 
these long-term toxicities may not be captured in these sort of trials? This is this is a, a problem because uh, um, in the uh, majority of adjuvant trials, uh, the the toxicities uh, uh, were captured uh, only uh, after uh, three months after stopping the treatment. So uh, um, there are no systematic analysis on long-term toxicities in clinical trials. Fortunately, some academic research shed light uh, on these long-term toxicities, and we know that some unexpected uh, and uh, um, underrepresented long-term toxicities uh, uh, can uh, uh, be described uh, uh, in uh, as a long-term uh, effect Effect, adverse event uh, in patients mainly receiving immunotherapy. It's a minority of patients, but we need to identify uh, the figures, uh, the percent of this patient that is less than uh, uh, 10%. Uh, but uh, what is important is that uh, some of these toxicities can be also severe. So it's important to know, not underestimate, and to report uh, these long-term toxicities because uh, this information can help clinicians in their routine activity. Right. So it's it's very important to engage patients and let them know. You know, keep keep telling us, keep informing us, keep in touch. Yes. Thank you. Um, now, as we noted, uh, melanoma most often occurs in a younger age group. And one of the main questions they may have um, with this or, or any cancer treatment is regarding how adjuvant treatment could affect their fertility. So maybe if we stay with Mario first uh, and, and you can discuss that aspect. Yeah, I, I think that uh, after the wonderful introduction by Teresa regarding the acute and the long-term toxicity, it's easy for me uh, just uh, to score the goal on the uh, fertility topic and, uh, and the issue. So um, as you pointed out, uh, uh, the uh, uh, onset of melanoma is particularly important uh, in patients under, under 40s. And uh, this is the third on the fourth uh, solid tumor in this uh, in these patients. And the second important point to remember for clinicians is that melanoma survivorship uh, in, re uh, in uh, reproductive age, both for women and men, is increasing. And why this? Because of the advent of effective therapies in the curative setting. So patients live longer. And after the disease, after facing the death, they want to go beyond the disease and look at life and build something important in their life. Um, nevertheless, uh, we have to say that the impact of fertility and, and ovarian uh, uh, function in, uh, uh, in uh, uh, women uh, related to chemotherapy agents is well known. Uh, there is still a lack of consistent data regarding uh, the impact of fertility uh, linked to uh, targeted therapy and immune checkpoint inhibitors used in melanoma. And some recent studies uh, 
in uh, in preclinical setting showing that uh, anti-PD-1 and anti-CTLI-4 can reduce both the number and quality of, of all sites in mice, uh, but we do not know anything about the effect of targeted therapy and uh, immunotherapy in humans. And what is important, of course, in the adjuvant setting, because the adjuvant setting is given with curative purpose. So uh, uh, there are some initiatives, and uh, um, I have to say in this context that the Italian Melanoma Group uh, uh, planned and uh, now is ready to carry out a study uh, to determine the impact of targeted therapy uh, and immunotherapy on reproductive uh, outcomes. And uh, this uh, may be important in the future if we are uh, able uh, to conclude uh, this study. Uh, this may uh, uh, provide information and uh, to clinicians and uh, how they can discuss in the future uh, the fertility preservation technique in uh, reproductive age women receiving immune checkpoint inhibitors and targeted uh, therapy. Uh, but uh, again, uh, this topic deserves in the routine activity outside clinical trials, such as our trial, a multidisciplinary team and the uh, gynecologist and uh, the expert uh, in reproductive uh, uh, issues and topic are very important to be included uh, in young men and women uh, who receive uh, adjuvant therapy because uh, uh, this effect can be observed maybe in uh, uh, a fraction of patients, but for patients is very, very important. So shed the light on this important uh, topic uh, and discovering the effect of immune checkpoint inhibitors and targeted therapy in adjuvant may help clinicians. And in the meantime, that uh, we uh, produce uh, through clinical trials, this data is important and it's imperative for all the clinicians to include in a multidisciplinary team also expert in this topic. Thank you so much. Uh, Teresa, is there anything you'd, you'd like to add to that? Uh, no. <laughs> I think Mario was very, very uh, clear on that. Um, as, as he said, if patients have a family plan, they should be uh, informed that uh, there might be these risks in the later future. And uh, it should be a multidisciplinary discussion, uh, which is sometimes... Uh, not at, as easy, but it's our responsibility to do it. Brilliant. That's all the questions. I think in general, you know, we've, we've learned a bit about the treatment, but a, a lot about, you know, how patients and multidisciplinary teams uh, should be included in, in treatment, both planning, but also um, with regard to outcomes. Um, again, thank you so much, Teresa and Mario, for joining us today. Uh, your insights are, are wonderful. Um, the article we wrote includes some of these discussion points. It, it includes more. Um, it also includes details of a lot of the, the studies that informed them. So, so do read that as well. 
Um, you can subscribe to other EMJ podcasts on usual channels. Uh, we release a new episode every Friday and plenty of bonus episodes like this one. Uh, so until next time, take care and uh, goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.